Isn't that such a great intro? I love it. <laughs> Hello, everyone. That's fantastic. I'm Stefan, and I'm with Ben. And I wanted to ask Ben to start the show. Um, so when are you having Dugan on your show? <laughs> when am I having Dugan on my show? I actually... Um, oh God. Uh, like, I think about a month before... Russia invaded Ukraine. I talked to somebody who had interviewed uh, Dugan, and uh, and I, I actually, you know, and I expressed like, hey, if you could ever set it up, I'd love to like debate that guy on, you know, nationalism. Um, and uh, you know, I think he, I don't know, I suspect he's doing less Western media these days. I, well, people are getting kind of in trouble because they're just having him on still. Like, yeah. like random YouTube channels and people are like, ah, what's going on? Uh, but we aren't talking about that today. We are talking about a blog done by a man called Ben Burgess. Where, 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 where is this blog located? Yeah, so the blog is called Philosophy for the People. Uh, double meaning for the people in the sense that the parts about political philosophy are tied to a left program and uh, also for the people in the sense of for anyone who's interested, not just a few academics. So it's uh, benburgess.substack.com. Uh, should be a link to it down below the screen where people are watching us uh, right now, down in the description for the uh, for the video. Um, and uh, and yeah, the uh, the last uh, the, the the most recent one. Yeah, it's not about Dugan, but it's a it's about an Eastern European. <laughs> well, it's, it's not really much about him, is it? No, no, it, it, it's just uses, it just uses a really great paragraph he wrote once. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's a um, it sort of uses as the entry point. Uh, I, I think something very insightful that he says in his book, uh, "Less than Nothing: Hegel and the Shadow of Dialectical Materialism." But you know, but but most of the so it kind of starts and ends on that, right? Most of the essay is not about that. Um, so it's we're back on compatibilism after um, we were on compatibilism two weeks ago. Um, Can't stop. <laughs> do you want to do you want to kind of define what I guess I mean to start with determinism, right? Because without determinism, compatibilism doesn't really make much sense. And you define it in the essay as kind of well, what do you say in the essay? Because I have a slightly different definition that I normally use. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so well, determinism is is roughly the claim that everything that happens is uh, determined. In other words, that you know that everything that happens is a result of chains of cause and effect that are not probabilistic but deterministic, meaning that um, once the effect, once the cause happens, the effect can't fail to happen. So, um, one uh, you know, like one way to think about this is sort of like. Um, I mean, we could also, I mean, I think that uh, the sort of very intuitive way of thinking about it is maybe like, you know, think about like falling dominoes, right? It's it's not like if the first domino, to, you know, uh, knocks over the second domino, the second might or might not knock over the third one, you know, but it will. And determinism is the claim that the entire physical universe uh, without some sort of magical carve out for decision making in the human brain is is all falling dominoes so like i i think maybe a sort of 
fairly precise way of capturing the idea would just be that uh, that uh, like sometimes philosophers will talk about like time slices of the universe by which they just mean like everything that's going on everywhere all at once uh, and uh, good movie also but that's you know everything uh, everything that's going on everywhere at any given given point in time right you know is a time slice of the uh, of the universe and uh, so the determinism is the claim that sort of given everything that's true at one time slice uh, you know in principle if you had some sort of amazing godlike knowledge of all of that you could extrapolate everything that was going to go on at future time slices yeah I, I summarize it as if you've got if you've got a deterministic system if you put in the same out inputs you always get the same outputs yeah no I, I think that's that's probably that's probably more concise that's all this is long too many Reddit posts written to not have a short definition. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, fair so enough. I think it's interesting, I guess, the question whether we should try and define free will first or skip to compatibilism. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and it's also interesting because you give the example in the article of what happens if you do what we did just now, which is introduce determinism first. Yeah, exactly, right? So I think, uh, I think people have... Like if you start out, like if you start out by introducing determinism and then you go to um, here's what compatibilism is, I think a lot of people's intuitive first response is, well, that's just crazy, right? Like, or that doesn't even make sense. I don't know what you're saying. It's, uh, uh, you know, you're just playing with words and trying to like redefine free will to, to eliminate this obvious conflict with determinism. Uh, whereas... I think if you, yeah, one of the claims I make at the end of the article is if you do thing, if you switch around the order, right? If before you ever mention determinism, if you just say, "Hey, hey guys, you know, time to classroom of interest students, you know, what do you, uh, let's talk about free will. What do you think free will means?" And you know, whatever, like you start, you start them rolling on it, and uh, and then you give them a compatibilist definition without labeling it as such. Honestly, in my experience, at least, most people just kind of nod along, like, "Yeah, that sounds about right." Right? That sounds like that sounds like about what I mean by free will. Uh, like, if you say something like, you know, so here's one compatibilist, you know, here's one version of compatibilism, right? If you say something like, "Well, uh, saying that you're doing something of your own free will means that it arose out of uh, that you're acting out a decision that arose out of a." decision-making process that was at least fairly reasons responsive, uh, meaning that, um, so reasons responsiveness is just the capacity to understand and be appropriately moved by reasons for and against uh, different courses of action. So, you know, you think about the kind of capacities that we're talking about, we talk about free will, uh, you know, you're, we're talking about, you know, the ability to sort of deliberate about different possible courses of actions and consider reasons for it against the other, et cetera. None of which means that you're only free if you're acting perfectly rationally, uh, but that there is just that there's some kind of minimal threshold of these capacities that we're, that we're kind of pointing to when we talk about people doing things their own free will. And if you, if you do something like that, right. Uh, or uh, there's a, there's a sort of fancy, there's like a, 
there's like a kind of paragraph long definition from Eddie Damias that I, uh, that I, that I quoted the, the article that's like somewhat along the same lines. Um, it's like free will refers to a set of capacities to imagine different courses of action, deliberate, plan, act on the play, you know, all this stuff. If you give them something like that, in my experience, at least, um, if you have never once said the word determinism so far in the semester, right? If, if this is just like the first time you talk about free will and you give them that definition, you know, people will nod along. They'll say, yeah, that, that sounds, that sounds like about what I mean. Whereas if you do it the other way around, if you say, here's what determinism is, and then compatibilism is the view that even if determinism is true, we still have free will. People will sort of go, what? no, Right, uh, and, uh, and means when you can't do stuff, and freedom is when you do do stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right, you know, freedom means you can do the things, and determinism means you can't. Uh, so, what are you what are you talking about? We could be we could have free will even if determinism is true. That doesn't make any sense. Um, determinism is kind of often understood as kind of like a magical force which makes you do things. And kind yeah. of removes like any causal effectiveness of your thoughts or your desires or whatever. Right. No, I think that's true. So I think that like one source of like one source of incompatibilist uh, intuitions that people have. So again, just to be real super clear about this, when we say compatibilism, what we mean is just the claim that even if uh, we live in a completely deterministic universe. Um, so absolutely everything that ever happens, including every, all human thoughts, decisions, actions, everything uh, ultimately arises from deterministic chains of cause and effect. Um, compatibilism is the claim that even if that's true, some of those completely determined actions are also instances of free will. And Again, if you if you put it that way, and I'm even kind of like deliberately leaning into it right now to sort of put it in the way that most provokes the how could that possibly be right intuition. Um, like, yeah, I think a lot of people uh, – so, so I think, yes, you're right. I think one source of like pushback against that is the sort of confusion that people sometimes have that like, you know, they hear determinism, but even if they hear it correctly defined, they still sort of hear it as – something more you know mystical than that you know that like somehow it's like um you know determinism is you know it's it's, it's like they're hearing something more like fate or something like that uh yeah, like it's pushing them around yeah that you know determinism is making you do x instead of doing y you know that um and rather than just you know whatever you do being caused it exactly the way that we normally think it does but that uh that causation itself being part of a, a a much larger set of facts about causation that go beyond you um so yeah i think that's one source of push of like intuitive pushback but another one is just you know i mean it, and i guess this is just like really like kind of skip into the key claim that i make in the article is just okay I think the very framing of the question, if determinism is true, do we still have free will, um, invites people to think about, um, 
you know, it invites people to, uh, to, uh, it invites people to think about like the kind of free will that we wouldn't have if, uh, if determinism is true. Right. I mean, like, I mean, just, just to be simplistic about this, it's like, look, we, if free will means like freedom from determinism, then definitely you don't have free will if determinism is true. Right. I think all the interest in action is that like, okay, but you know, what do we mean by free will in most contexts? What's the sort of, what's the kind of free will that's relevant for other important, you know, other concepts that matter to us, like moral responsibility. You know, that's, that's the, I mean, I, um, I think what's really important about that Zizek quote that you put is him pointing out as I took it, that this freedom from determinism is not like this higher freedom, this better freedom that we'd really like to have. Because right. if you actually think about what that would mean to be free from determinism, to be free in some way that we aren't under like a compatibilist definition, this means that kind of the desires that come out of ourselves that kind of constitute us, that's not the sole determinator of what we do. Rather, there's some kind of other internal factor which just emerges out of the ether or whatever. But if you actually think about that, that's kind of just demanding that there's some... That's the that's the kind of idea to, to reverse things. That's the case where there's some kind of alien monster within you which is pushing you around. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing is it's not really clear what it would amount to to be free in that way, right? I mean, so that's the so in the yeah we tried to talk check. about it a couple of weeks ago, right? About yeah, the, the one decent libertarian. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. I mean, it's like graded on a curve of libertarians. Uh, I think Robert Cade gets gets credit for uh, for having like at least the sort of um, it's like, okay, you know, he's he's at least like got a sort of detailed view of what he means. And it could say, here's exactly what I mean. Here's why being compatible with determinism. Uh, although it's also interestingly unclear whether what he's talking about really satisfies what most libertarians sound like they're asking for, right? I mean, because because it's it's just like, I mean, if ultimately the only difference between what he's saying and uh, and you know a version of compatibilism, right? Because you could have a, you know, you just shift his view very slightly, and and it's it's just a form of compatibilism, right? So it's like the only real difference is that. Um, is that we're postulating like a little quantum indeterminacy in your brain, you know, at certain crucial moments of decision. And it's like, well, okay, but it, is that all the materials are talking about? Cause like very often it sounds like they want something a lot deeper than that. Um, but also, like to me, even that feels like a small imposition. <laughs> now that makes yeah. me feel like a little bit less free. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, we were talking about this two weeks ago. I remember you saying something like that. I mean, I, I guess like the sort of intuition that's driving you is something like, look, if I'm going to be in control of my actions, uh, my, you know, my actions, my decisions have to be causally determined by certain facts about me, you know, my intentions and, you know, preferences and, you know, and, and, and reasoning and all that stuff. And the second you start introducing too much randomness, then you know that your intuition is like now you actually start to get worried that uh, that that I'm I'm not you know um, like like okay sure that cuts away at any strings that are pulling me, but it also cuts away at the strings that I'm using to pull you know the world right my my right. 
things that I'm using to pull my actions. Um, yeah, like it, it, and it's it seems like a lot of um, you know. So what that that Zizek quote you know captures when he's sort of talking about how um, you know when when people complain about you know determinism cutting away at their their freedom that you know it's 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 not me you know the agent who's doing something because it's this uh you know ultimately okay sure i decided to do this because of x and x happened because of y and y happened because of z and ultimately you could trace it back to something that comes before me so therefore it wasn't me that he's saying what he calls the un- unwarranted ontological assumption there is that i am something separate from like you know the world in general that that i'm this well, like it's kind of this this interesting question that people ask quite a lot and all such as philosophy where they ask why am i me yeah and this this is a question which is asked so frequently it has a, a frequently asked questions special post dedicated to it but is one which is is like nonsense it's it, it's not a question which makes sense which only kind of make, forms a coherent sentence because of like a quirk in, in English grammar. Like if we were in a language which kind of didn't have I and E and just had one word for that, you'd, you'd see that the question doesn't make any sense when you're asking why, why I, I, you know? Yeah. I think it's very interesting that people do have, I think this is one of the things that floats around the compatibilism debate, but isn't implicated in like the popular debate, but isn't kind of brought out enough, which is people have some kind of intuition that they aren't necessarily a particular person, but rather they could have been born a different person in a different place in a different time, or that they could have been a worm or whatever, you know? They, they wonder, why am I me? Because we have some kind of intuition that we are not just a consciousness or, or something like this, but there's some aspect of us which kind of goes beyond that, which could happen to be in a different body rather than necessarily belonging in a particular one. I was just remembering, I, I saw on Twitter a little while back, a couple of uh, sort of uh, precocious young philosophy-minded leftists uh, who I follow on Twitter were having this uh, uh, discussion about uh, whether, um, uh, like, okay, if your girlfriend asks you, you know, if, uh, you know, would you still love me if I were a worm, right? You know, like, is that- No, I wouldn't. <laughs> It's like, is the correct answer like, I, I literally don't know what you mean. Like, I have a, in what sense? If you're, if you're a worm, you're dead. <laughs> you know, in, in every significant sense, you're dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that it, you sort of have to have like, like that, the sort of weird assumption that's at play with the, you know, would you still love me if I were a worm stuff is that there is some sort of like mystical essence of you that's, that's, that's separate from um, sort of any kind of discernible fact about you. It's often even stronger than kind of like a Christian view, which has kind of like a soul and a body necessarily going together. Like at some point during conception due to ensoulment, there's like, there's an idea that, it could be like before then, like kind of like you were like a mystical floating thing which existed in the ether that then at some point happened to become associated with a certain body. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's that's true, right? I mean, it's like, uh, I remember the, thinking about this several years back. Um, I think teaching that 
Hume essay that we were talking about during the very first one of these that it's like there's something really odd about the fact that there's like a certain kind of like um, you know in practice fairly secular uh, person who's like thinks that like heaven and hell are silly ideas but they're like open to reincarnation and it's like well honestly heaven and hell seem more coherent to me than reincarnation because like at least if if I'm if I'm imagining um, that there's like a person in uh, you know let's just optimistically say heaven uh, who uh, in the uh, you know hundred years from now uh, who's um, who is me right you can say that and I feel like I sort of know what you might mean by that right that there's like a that like, like even though my physical body would have rotted away into nothing at least there's some kind of continuity of psychological experience between me and that that indi individual with the astral body or whatever in heaven. But um, I have no idea what the fuck you mean when you say like, oh, you know, I was, you know, William the Conqueror or a worm, right, in a previous lifetime. It's like, well, how is that? You don't seem much like them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't have, um, I mean, okay, so there's no psychological continuity there's also no physical continuity so so like what are we what are we talking about right there has to be you know like there has to be something else and, and sure we have like a sort of set of words that we describe use to like label that something else but like i don't i think if you like really press people on okay but like what do you mean by that right like that like you could say i have the same soul or something but like okay but you don't when you say the same soul I mean, you're not actually talking about any sort of mental continuity. So, like, 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 what does that mean to say that you have the same soul? And I, I literally don't know. I mean, like, I, I feel like the more you think about that, the less clear it is. No, I, mean, I, I do have some degree of this intuition. I just, after on reflection, I realize it doesn't make sense. Like, I have some feeling that kind of I could be seeing out of someone else's eyes, right? Yeah. Like. like that no kind of fact about me would continue over apart from the fact that I happen to live inside their head, right? Yeah. I, I mean, like, I can under, understand, like, what it means to say that you're, like, you know, looking out of somebody else's eyes or whatever in the, in the Freaky Friday sort of scenario where, where you've... Uh, but, right, that like, is some kind of, like, soul switch where you keep psychological facts about yourself. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because the, the alternative where they kind of swap perspectives but no psychological facts follow over is a boring movie. Or at least one without yeah. a mystical element because nothing changes. Yeah, it's an extremely boring movie because for all we know, uh, that happens a hundred times a day right. and it would change nothing uh, if it if it did, right? I mean like like if it turned like let's say for the sake of argument, like I'm not even a hundred percent sure it's like a conceptually coherent claim right you know but like let's say for the sake of argument that it is and and even that i was like fully convinced that this was a real thing that sometimes happened i don't know that i would care right it's like that because because if you say well there's a there's some sort of mysterious metaphysical container for all of your thoughts and feelings and you know beliefs and all this stuff but uh uh and but like all of those things are still going to be where they were and um and you know your your body whatever is going to change but like the container is going to be switched somehow 
And I don't, I don't know that I should find that upsetting, even if that turned out to be true. It's like, okay, that's not, I mean, maybe you should, maybe you should switch the container every once in a while, you know, like, like, uh, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, it's like it out. or something. We do a lot of blasphemy on the show. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, I did I see say that one, one Christian philosopher did evade kind of the worry about how the fuck souls work. Because obviously there's at least one instance of physical resurrection in the Bible, right? And they just say, God physically puts your body in heaven. People have a bong. I mean, there are, there is a, there is like a weird subset of Christian philosophers uh, who try to think if I can, if I know of a, like a, a name, I mean, I know this is a view that's out there of people who sort of embrace, like I know Van Imwagen says uh, that, uh, you know, is just like a materialist about mind, but just says that, you know, that's okay. You know, I still believe in immortality. God will just physically resurrect us. Right. And I know there's like a, I, I know there is like a, a position, there is like a deeply strange position that's held by some Christian philosophers that says that um, this is what's usually derisively referred to by, by people who think it's ridiculous is the body snatcher view that they have a, that um, say, okay, well, what would it take for you to really be continuous with the person who's having this, this everlasting life? And they conclude that, well, if, if you're just, um, you know, I mean, if you're just like restarting a new physical body from like, you know, materials lying around or whatever that that wouldn't count which is you, know, you can see where that intuition comes from it's like that thing i think we talked about during the very first one of these that if you have you know it's like the the thing i always find like if i ask students like okay imagine somebody offered you a free trip to mars here's how it works you enter into the transport station on earth it takes a molecule by molecule neuron by neuron scan of your body and brain and dissolves the body and brain in the process sends the information to mars where it uses local molecules to build a molecule by molecule, neuron by neuron copy of you that will remember being you and remember stepping into the station on earth, who would take that trip. And I'll typically get a lot of hands because I, because people's intuition about that as well, I'd just be dead, right? That's a new person who it's nice for them, right? They think, you know, so anyway, there's like <laughs> different people have You're different. Good my twin brother, but fuck me. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Right. So like, uh, you know, not everybody feels that way. I will get people be like, yep, that's fine. That's still be me. I take the trip. But like, um, but if it is right, then you think, well, okay, now we have a problem, right? If, is the like resurrected person really you? So, so there is this like fringe view among some Christian philosophers that actually, um, God, uh, like, like somehow takes the, you know, as your body's dying, you know, or, or like when you, with the second you die or something like switches out the body. Uh, so that the, uh, so, so that the, oh, like that, leave the corpse, that exact body. So, so like the corpse is like a replica. Right. That and God he that you and kills you. And then <laughs> so, sends you the one to heaven. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. So like that, the, so the thing, so you have, you know, continuity, of like being in the being in the same body, right, so right, right. You know, that's fun. That's fun. It is fun, but yeah, uh, but I think like getting back to the the free will thing. I mean, I, I just think like um, you know that 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 exact thing that seems so odd 
write about like really like taking seriously the um well you know i could be a worm or things like that like 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 okay in what sense could you be a worm right i think that's like roughly the kind of thing that zizek is pointing to in this passage in less than nothing uh that it's like well okay hold up if you're um you know if what you want is a kind of freedom that you couldn't have if determinism was true uh that you know it can't be that your your decisions you know could ultimately indirectly be traced back to chains of cause and effect you know outside of you um which again like really you know if it's not the robert kane quantum indeterminacy say the brain thing if that's not good enough right then like really seriously what does that mean right i mean does that mean like we're all like miniature gods you know causing things without being caused you know like like, like how does that work um and uh that's um you know and, and, and jesus point is like look i mean if, if what you're looking for is like uh you know you're you're postulating you know that you are something separate from uh the causal processes of the world the ways that gets real mysterious when you start when you start thinking about that right and he says you I know mean, like you have, to, you have to sacrifice a lot to kind of be a god right a god <laughs> for instance can't change like it's kind of a necessary feature of god that he can't change and yeah. i would like to change you know so i don't want that kind of freedom yeah yeah and i mean it's it's this is i mean if you're like if you're not you know because if you think about all the things that clearly are embedded and and could only be embedded in larger causal chains you know you're you know, your experiences, you know, your your drives, whatever. It's like, well, if you're free from all that, right, then it's like, then it seems like this might be a really just a deeply, in, like a long in for just like a deeply incoherent kind of freedom because like what you're really looking for, in fact, what you're worried is somehow threatened by determinism is, you know, you being the cause of your actions. You know, it's like, no, 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 I want it to really, really come from me and not anything else. But then, like, you start thinking about all the stuff that is just inextricably bound up with everything else. It's, like, really, uh, yeah, like he says in that quote, I mean, it seems like it's a it's a desire to be free from every part of yourself, right? This is just, right. uh, there's just nothing there that, like, like you know, like, what would this freedom actually be, you know, if, uh, if you... Uh, if you if you had it and and oh, I I also want to say somebody in the chat a little while ago said something about uh, animals and uh, this is a this is a fun thing that if you I remember Harry Frankfurt has a paper called Free Will the Concept of Person where he points out at they like on some of the sort of goofier libertarian theories of what free will would be like if you say um, I don't even remember Chris Holmer somebody some some libertarian philosopher he's quoted as saying that like every time you're engaged in a free action, there's like a causal miracle occurring in your brain. And, and he's like, okay, um, let's say that that happens. Notice that one of the things that we intuitively want out of concept of free will is that it, it helps, it helps us explain why we think that adult humans typically, um, are responsible for their actions in ways that like children or non-human animals are right why don't, why don't we put cats in jail yeah exactly right like like when you read about like weird medieval things where they'd have like a trial for a bear or something and it seems crazy right. to us right they had a that's uh that's why right because it's like well yeah I mean, that's uh that's that's obviously ridiculous like um 
like even um, actually not too far from from where I am now, right in uh, Southern California, there was a a thing not long ago about the uh, the there was this uh, uh, panther that had like uh, killed a couple of small dogs uh, and uh, and people uh, <laughs> good call chipped uh, and. Um, and ultimately, they decided to to euthanize it, but it wasn't like you know the panther deserves to die. I mean, it was it was like well, they thought about trying to introduce it into a habitat. They weren't sure at its age and it's in its health that would work and whatever. And like, it's like yeah, that's like the right that's the right way to approach that because it's a fucking panther. I mean, it's not you know like like we don't think that uh, we don't think that panthers are uh, are. are in control of their actions in a way that would make any sort of notion of moral responsibility make sense. But Frankfurt's point in that paper is, hey, if you're just going to postulate a mysterious causal miracle in the brains of adult humans when they make choices, I don't know. Look, maybe when like the panther is like deciding to eat the chihuahua or whatever, I mean, like maybe there's a there maybe there's a causal miracle in its brain. I mean, like is, like, it, is it not one of God's creatures? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like we've solved this, Ben. We agree too much. Yeah. Apart from that, I'm I'm kind of like a real fundamentalist compatibilist, while you're a bit more <laughs> you're a bit more normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm a bit more open to the idea that, like, you know, you can have like a little indeterminism without it being a big, you know, uh, without it being a big problem for for free will. Uh, but yeah, I, I think on the uh, you know, so I'm probably more of a compatibilist about indeterminism than you are, but they have a. Uh, but I think we're probably about equally compatibilist about determinism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, sorry. Now I'm just reading all the jokes in the chat about uh, putting cats in jail. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, what uh, people have been asking about in chat is kind of how this, or generally the views in free will then kind of influence uh, like ideas of political and and justice and the law yeah. and so on. I was also yes. going to mention that um, you, you said this stuff about your, your students and you mentioned one survey. And I think generally from a compilation of surveys on, on free will, people have a mix of, of compatibilist and incompatibilist. Um, intuitions, views, whatever, and that makes sense. Sure, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I think that if it's framed in terms of moral responsibility, uh, you tend to elicit the the compatibilist uh, intuition more so. Although, also, you know, I mean, one of the reasons I even said in the essay, I don't want to put too much stock in that, is because like. Also, just these are complicated questions, and there's a, a tremendous amount of room to just like get confused about exactly what you're asking and not think about it carefully enough. Because it's like that's yeah. I mean, like, um, I mean, this is this is why um, you know in the previous one about Sam Harris two weeks ago, you know, it's like I'm 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 giving him shit about like not. Uh, not looking enough into the literature on this this topic, right? Because because I think that because um, I think it's really easy to get confused about it if you if you aren't right, like like, like sort of carefully sorted through all the arguments that people have made back and forth. I just think the studies are interesting because 
there's this sort of idea that it's like, well, everybody is just naturally an incompatibilist and it's only like a few like philosophers. Right, that, that, that is the kind of the story that gets put to that, put about a lot online. Yeah. You know, a few a few devious philosophers with their fancy word games. You know, they're trying to blame us. They want us to be blameable. <laughs> you know, that like they'll be compatibilists, but everybody, but even they really know deep down that that's nonsense, right? You know, they're they're uh, they're just trying to evade uh, evade the truth. I see a lot of that online. Uh, yeah, I think whereas like I think actually um, most people have, uh, yeah. Well, I, I was just going to say that I, with the, the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, quantum mechanics is deterministic. Because yeah. well, first of all, across all the waves, everything, ha across all the, the branches, everything happens. But the thing is, on our branch, everything that was going to happen was going to happen. Like the, it's, it's one long, straight string. In many worlds where everything happens, there isn't actually any indeterminacy on any particular branch of the wave. Yeah, I mean, it. so that's one uh, view of this. I don't really, I don't really feel like I'm qualified to try to adjudicate between the uh, Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics, which is the one that says that there, there is, you know, there is uh, indeterminacy, you know, that some of this is probabilistic, uh, the behavior of, you know, subatomic particles rather than deterministic, you know, between that and like many worlds and, you know, the various more eccentric ones. Like I, I have, uh, I don't know, man, I, I don't, this is, this is like, uh, I, I don't, you know, that's, that is, that's not my department, right? I'm just well, here. Well, that's, that's something we do know about uh, the political and legal system and justice. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Right. So, well, okay. So, so just to, just to really quickly wrap up the previous point, like I, I think, um, you know, I I think most I think what's actually more accurate is that most people have a couple of different intuitions about this stuff that could um, that don't obviously fit together, and it takes a little bit of thought to see how how to um, you know how they do right. So uh, and and previously, even actually, when I was arguing with people about the one I wrote a couple of weeks ago. You know, I'm, I'm often sort of prone to say things like, well, look, I don't think anybody, you know, most people really have a view about this one way or the other because uh, they just have some sort of rudimentary impulses. Right. It's, about, like asking, it's asking if people are consequentialists or Kantians or whatever. It's like they're you know, not. Like, yeah, like not really either, either one, right? They have some, you know, like they have some like stirrings on it that could point to different directions, right? But you have to actually do, and on some level that's clearly true, right? I mean, you you have to actually do do some theorizing, right? It's it's not like most people, you know, there is something a little ridiculous about attributing to most people who've never thought very much about any of this stuff some like fully fleshed out philosophical. Well, position. is the average man in the street a semantic internalist or an externalist? Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So it's like, yeah, I think on some level that's clearly true, but I I think that the I think there's also a level on which I, I would claim that that people are uh, more naturally compatibilist than they sometimes realize, because I think that the, you know, what I'd argue, you know, what I argue in the essay is that the uh, that people uh, that the sort of implicit notion of free will that we use most of the time in most circumstances is actually pretty compatibilist. It's just that like there are certain kinds of of questions like that uh 
that sort of implicitly invite us to think about a concept of free will that would 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 just not be compatible with determinism, right? That the uh, that this kind of radical cosmic freedom, you know, that that Slavo is talking about in less than nothing. Uh, so, uh, okay. So you, you asked, you, you started to ask about the political and legal question and I, I should say, uh, so there is going to be at least one more part to this. So we'll, I should, we'll... I should keep this permanently on the bottom. <laughs> sure. Uh, there's a, uh, that in, uh, I'm not going to do it next week, but, uh, but in a couple weeks, I think I'm going to complete the trilogy uh of uh of, of free will ones uh because there's like one other that i actually even kind of teased when i did the sam harris one a couple weeks ago because i was I, gonna I, demand an essay now i forgot what it was i'll think about <laughs> it eventually okay yeah well you know if you have to email me your demands later that's fine uh, <laughs> but, uh <laughs> i'll send them on one of those those things they make in movies where they stick different letters from different newspapers together <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Hostage takers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, so the one I, I, I said I'd do in the Harris essay and I still want to do probably in a couple of weeks is actually, um, uh, is actually having, um, is one that like is just about this question. Right about the sort of political, political and legal consequences, you know, because because my, you know, my view about this is I think we talked about kind of briefly. We're talking about the Sam Harris one is that there are, um, you know, even though I think it should be a separate discussion. I mean, because like, look, I think you know, I think you should figure out what's true, and then you could ask like what the sort of political consequences of that are, if anything. But. Um, but I am obviously very interested in the what are the political consequences question. Uh, that's the the sort of thing you know that I care about. So, um, so yeah, the the what I want to do to sort of complete the trilogy in a couple of weeks is called uh, being a leftist without being a utilitarian or a, or mm. a skeptic about free will. Mm. Uh, and um, and you know I think that there's this sort of combination of views that um, a lot of a lot of leftists who take, you know, kind of a passing interest in philosophy, find themselves drawn towards, uh, which are actually ironically pretty much Sam Harris's exact views, which, you know, might make you, you know, reflect and, uh, you know, come to Jesus a little on this. But they I have mean, a, they, were, they, were, they were cutting edge in the 1870s, Ben. Yeah, uh, which are basically, um, yeah, which are, skepticism about free will and just kind of pure utilitarianism about morality uh you know that they you know nobody's you know forget it nobody's ever morally responsible for anything uh the uh that's um so all we could all we could do you know like we're all just kind of walking talking containers of of good and bad consequences and and um and i actually i understand why people think that this is a combination of philosophical views that's like congenial to a left political program. But I think that's just wrong. I actually think that this is a much more natural fit with Harris style, uh, kind of technocratic liberalism, you know, that, that it is, that it is with a sort of emancipatory left politics that, um, yeah. Freeing you know, what from what, mate? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? You know, it's like, yeah, you want to... If we aren't metaphysically free, then we're not free. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, um, I, I think that, you know, I, I think that actually, you know, to sort of really get the, you know, idea that we like deeply care about ending domination, all that stuff, it's like, well... Are you really just saying that you think that without structures of domination, you know, people will be, you know, 15% happier and like, that's the only reason you care about it. Right. Or do you actually care about that in itself? Uh, and I, I think you care about it in itself. I think you should care about it in itself. And I think that the, um, you know, I, I think that the reasons why roughly um, that um, the, yeah, no, I, I agree, HG. You shouldn't care what Harris thinks, just what's true. I agree. I just think that the, as a rough heuristic, Sam Harris thinks something gives you at least some reason to think that's probably bullshit. Uh, but I'm mostly kidding about that. Uh, he, you know, it's not like he, everything the man thinks is wrong. You know, that's that that would be impossible. But um, in uh, in any case, like I think that um, it's. I think the reasons why people think that there's this left-wing valence to uh, to free will skepticism are basically two things that they're that they associate belief in free will with, which are uh, one uh, harsh retributivist views about uh, criminal justice, and two. Uh, victim blaming about economic inequality. Uh, and I get how people end up associating these beliefs with, um, you know, with, with free will, because the people who advocate those beliefs very heavily play up free will, their rhetoric about them, you know, that they, they, you know, it's like, look, you know, you're responsible for what happens to you, you know, all this stuff. So like, there's like a very free will heavy, case that's made for these things leftists quite correctly abhor those things and so i i could see how you could slide from well you're constantly talking about free will when you push these ideas and these ideas are abhorrent to you know maybe the idea of free will is abhorrent and um i think that um you know i mean just to just as a sort of um uh, you know, just as a as a kind of brief preview, right? You know, for what I'd, I'd say in that that essay, you know, you know, a couple of weeks, or whatever that happens. Um, I think one, there are other. I you know, it's like, look, yes, uh, you do need you do need to believe in free will to make sense. For example, of retributivism about criminal punishment. Fair enough, right? I mean, this this is why, like. I was I was just listening to Chapo Trap House is doing a series on the Thirty Years War, uh, where in the um, uh, called This Is Hell, uh, where uh, they're um, uh, they were talking about these uh, theological debates among uh, among Calvinists in the 1600s, and uh, you uh, <laughs> uh, and and they're talking about the sort of like uh, dissonance of these debates we're sort of like really talking about how crazy it is to say that people deserve, you know, hellfire when they literally, you know, couldn't help it. Um, and it's like, yeah, fair enough. Right. I mean, like, so it's like, yeah, I think you probably do to sort of in any kind of remotely coherent way, 
advocate like harsh retributive views about criminal punishment. You know, you do need you do need free will as one of your premises to get there. Uh, similarly, you you need it as one of your premises to get yourself to the idea that everybody's you know like res- everybody's responsible for where wherever they end up economically. It's your it's your own damn fault that you're poor. You didn't grind harder, right? That that's. Um, those are both ideas that, you know, one of the premises you need to get to those ideas is belief in free will. But like, that's like, I think my two points about this would be one, there are plenty of other ideas that are much more congenial to left politics that also require belief in free will. As well. I'm going to say that you need a lot more than those two things to then believe in those you need a lot more than free free will to, to believe in those things right yeah i mean that would be the main point right that it's like yeah okay sure you need you need the free will premise to get there but you also need about a hundred other premises to get there like the idea and, that society is like perfectly meritocratic yeah it's it is obviously insane i mean it's like yes they have a uh the i like sure right like you need to you need to believe in free will to get there, but it's like you also just need to believe in a bunch of crazy shit empirically that we just know isn't true, you know. That they and you also need to believe in like there's also, you know, so like yeah, I think a lot of these views that people are thinking of and like intended to like a lot of the views that people want to f- reject free will in order to reject politically are ideas that rely not just on free will but one a bunch of crazy ass empirical premises and two uh some uh some just really weird moral principles like um you know if it's like okay somebody does something and it's their fault uh just accepting that i mean you have you know as uh you know, Christopher Hitchens voice, all your work is still ahead of you, right? You know, if you want to go from there to, uh, to the idea that it's just like morally good to inflict pain on you, you know, as, uh, you know, like, like that's I've been a, often in the U S system for like 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> almost like an unimaginably long time. Yes crazily long time like i i remember uh i remember this really struck me like i don't know 20 years ago or something i went to see angela davis speak at uh university of michigan and uh she was talking about the uh truth and reconciliation commission in south africa that at one point she was talking about this family that had uh uh like some member of their family had been a victim of like a really brutal crime and then after the guy got out of prison they went through this process they ended up reconciling with him and all this and but the part of the part of it that always stuck with me was she was like, yeah, so so you know he committed this really brutal crime in South Africa, and he was put in prison for ten years, which in a lot of countries is considered to be a long time to go to prison. <laughs> and, uh, and I heard that I was like, yeah, right, like that's crazy that Americans don't think of that as a long time to go to prison. That like that we we're such a like crazily retribution happy uh you know society that like you hear that you're like oh slap on a wrist huh right like you only have to spend 10 years of your life in a cage you know like it's like no that's uh there are there's plenty of room for for saying not not the usual sort of thing i like to defend but i heard some american who i've heard about for the reasons went to prison for 19 years for child pornography possession i was like that's a lot and like nobody actually knows sympathy, sympathy at all, but I was like, 19 years 
That's a very long time. Yeah, since since uh, since this is YouTube, let's just let's just go ahead and say, uh, just uh, just to uh, you know, nothing can be left implicit. Child porn is bad, but <laughs> it's also yeah, it's also insane. Like nineteen years, really. Uh, and yeah, so so it's like, look, you could believe, like, as a sort of abstract philosophical view you could even accept some sort of retributivist view about punishment that like sometimes people just deserve to be punished because what they did and still think that the degree of uh, retributive zeal uh, built into the american criminal justice system is like dangerously insane that's one thing but then also you could believe in um you could believe in moral responsibility without even accepting a sort of pure retributivist view of criminal criminal justice reforms. This is why in the essay for this week, I mean, I, I said, um, like, I kind of took pains over the course of a few paragraphs to be like, look, when I talk, when I say moral responsibility, I'm not talking about anger. I'm not talking about punishment. I'm not talking about any of that because those are all further questions, right? Once we've established that somebody is morally responsible for, you know, even committing some really heinous crime, then then the next question might be okay what do we think should happen right but like there's no um just saying they're morally responsible doesn't in itself commit you to to anything um to any sort of uh conclusion one way or the other about that i mean you can think that something like you can think that something like in an ordinary mundane day-to-day interaction with people way you can think so somebody did something bad and it's their fault and forgive them for it you can think that something's bad and it's their fault and just not care very much either way because sometimes you just don't care very much about things. Or sure, you could get angry at them, right? Those are all compatible. You could think that somebody committed a really heinous crime and advocate that they be punished because you think they deserve to be punished. Or you could... I mean, I mean in some, some, some substantive way, it's uh, only in the case where they're responsible that you can forgive them, right? Because otherwise there's nothing okay. to forgive. Absolutely right. This, so this is something like my friend Ryan Lake has uh, talked about that uh, that there's something um, that like it's not even clear that it's like okay, forget retributivism. Let's just assume that retributivism is wrong, and we have some kind of restorative justice idea of how the criminal justice system should work. Right? It's not that you know, like instead of thinking that people deserve uh, you know people deserve to suffer because they did something bad, just think well people doing something bad is a problem that needs to be solved by, you know, like some sort of process where you figure out how to restore the way things were, you know, I'm not, you know, that's not a good explanation, but whatever. Like they have a, just, just like uh, look up a better explanation of what restorative justice advocates are, uh, are saying and like fill that in. Right. It's like not clear to me that it's sort of um, that that makes sense if you're not taking people seriously as autonomous beings who are responsible for their own actions that like they have a, cause it's like that whole process is very much about um, sort of like, okay, how can I, you know, how could you and I have this encounter where we're, you know, we're both, you know, where we're both ready to put this behind us and, you know, and, and, and move on and all that, like that, that's a, uh, you know, I, I think you might actually need, to think of everybody involved in that process as, you know, as an autonomous agent who's meaningfully responsible for, for their own decisions for that to even make sense. And certainly 
on a, you know, whatever's true about the criminal justice system on a day-to-day level. And like, yeah, like, I mean, the whole notion of forgiveness doesn't, you know, like, like, like assumes, assumes moral responsibility. And so it's like, yeah, all of these questions of like, should you, uh, is punishment, you know, is retributivism right? Or if it's not right, is, you know, is some sort of restorative justice conception better than retributivism? Or should people, you know, are the only reasons why anybody should be legally punished pragmatic reasons? All of those are really interesting questions. But the point is that any possible answer to those questions is entirely consistent with belief in moral responsibility. Yeah, and a lot, kind of, a lot of views aren't in some significant way. Certainly, a lot of kind of a lot of ethical views before you get to the political aren't like basically outside of con- con- consequentialism, which is yeah. why kind of it appeals to Sam Harris. The other normative views don't really make sense if we if we don't have free will. I think people kind of, as with like a big thing on kind of uh, R philosophy is, is is people like free. Uh, like moral skeptics asking like, what the fuck is normativity anyway? And in their posts, they've said the word should like 12 times. <laughs> yeah. Why should we believe this? Right. Yeah. It's like, well, clearly you believe in some kind of normativity. Uh, the, uh, that's, I think people uh, don't realize how much they have to give up when they become skeptical of these things. And, you know, I am generally inclined to moral anti-realism, but I try not to have my cake and eat it. I try to kind of, grapple with how much you have to actually give up when you try and give up these things. Yeah. I mean, I think that the moral, um, you know, the moral realism and anti-realism question is interesting, but I, I and you know, and I, I don't know that I have too much useful to, to say about it. Right. I mean, like I have a, I'm very not, I'm very much not inclined towards the sort of heavy duty realism where you think that, um, there's like uh, that morality is about discovering these like metaphysical should facts that are sort of like waiting for you to find them somehow. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that seems very um, uh, don't grab with you. Yeah, uh, that seems that seems um, you know pretty dubious to me for all sorts of reasons, right? You know, but um, but I also think that even if you you know even if you think that on some level, as I do, right, that it's like, uh, however exactly, you know, whatever sort of fancy, well-worked-out philosophical view you should adopt to sort of make sense of this, if the sort of rough framework that you have for thinking about morality is still, you know, is something that's, like, very deeply human, you know, that, like, we have um, that, you know, look, there there are normative goals that we care about, and, uh you know, and uh, what we're ultimately doing in moral reasoning is we're is we're sort of trying to figure out. Well, if I care about this, then you know, then 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 you know, does that mean that I should also care about this? Try to hammer that into an internally consistent picture. Try to you know, convince other people to care about the things we care about by appealing to things in the overlap. All that stuff, which is like roughly the picture that I have. Uh, I don't think that gets you off the hook of uh, of of sort of seeing how, uh, like, of like, kind of living, like, it's as far as the free will question we've been talking about, right? In other words, like, um, I don't think you have to think that 
moral responsibility is something that flows out of these sort of deep metaphysical facts about morality in order to think that it's incoherent to uh, to think that, you know, we have moral, that we can be morally responsible for things that are under but our not, control. Not said or asked or whatever. I don't think you need to believe in free will and moral responsibility to support restorative justice about repairing the harm done. But why should, if, if the case isn't, if free will is false, why should the person who did the crime be the one that has to repair it? If they're yeah. as unresponsible as anyone else for, for doing it. If I've done a murder, why should I have to repair the damage done and not Ben? Yeah. If I'm responsible no. for it. But if, if I'm not responsible for it in, in any significant sense, if I'm not blamable for it, then there's no reason that I should be the one restoring the damage as opposed to Ben or anyone else. Yeah, that seems right to me. Um, I think that the, like, I know there are people who, who try to sort of... I mean, it together. could be like a pragmatic thing that I'm in the dock and he isn't. Sure. He get me to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's... Sure. I mean, look, there could be like pragmatic reasons to, to sort of, but it's like at that point, it's no different than, than a sort of punishment framework, right? That it's like in both cases, it could be the case that there are pragmatic reasons to sort of act as if, uh, you know, we, we thought that this was like the, uh, the objectively justified way to do things, yeah. uh, even, even though it's not, you know, but like, okay, fine. But like, uh, you know, but that's not the. I, I think in both cases, I think if you're going to make sense of the framework as like actually objectively justified, uh, and not just a sort of like pragmatically useful way to act, uh, it's it's probably going to be difficult to do that without without some sort of belief in autonomy and responsibility. Uh, I think right. Um, I think that's right. But like, I'm also what I'm sure is right is that um is that like just believing in moral responsibility by itself doesn't tell you whether you should have a restorative justice framework for how you think the criminal justice system should work or a retributive one or some third one or a fourth one or a fifth one right i mean that's just a, it's just a further question like you know, we have to ask a bunch of other moral questions after we've, after we've done the sort of easy, simple one, which is like, are things sometimes people's fault? Right. Which, as as <laughs> as clearly as agreed with us, but not with chat, is the compatibilist view. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know. Um, I mean, and I, I should say, like that, just that saying that things are sometimes people's fault is like saying that that. Um, requires some sort of belief in free will is actually relatively uncontroversial in the um, uh, in the literature on this, right? In other words, like, look, nothing is a hundred percent uncontroversial. I mean, it's like I, I think like Cicero has that line right about how uh, there's no position so absurd that it hasn't been advocated by some philosopher. Like, you know, you could always find somebody somewhere who denies everything, but like. Um, but by and large, something that both most compatibilists and also most incompatibilists and free will skeptics agree on is that um, 
there's a control condition for moral responsibility, that it only makes sense to say that people are responsible if there's some sense, there's some important sense in which they're in control of their actions. And so if there's no important sense in which you're in control of your actions that's compatible with determinism, and you know determinism is true, or we're worried that it's true, then moral responsibility goes out the window. And that's something that, like, I mean, pretty much almost every thoughtful free will skeptic says says that. In fact, like they typically some of them think it's like, you know, a tragedy, right? I think like small Smolansky says we should like stop talking about this, you know, because because uh, we don't, you know, they uh they're gonna be, you know, we don't want to rob people of this this wonderful I mean, illusion. There's there's this idea of like government house consequentialism, right? Where you think utilitarianism is true but you don't tell people about it because <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly not act in 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 the common good and yeah there can be like a a government house incompatibilism where we should it's obviously true among us clever people but we should shut the fuck up about it yeah yeah don't 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 say it where the peasants can hear you uh yeah they um and so there's that view and then there's the view that's held by people like uh derek uh paraboom uh who who's you know i, I you know probably one of the smartest uh free will skeptics uh, that that I know about, I, I actually I actually embed one of his lectures in the the essay for anybody who's who's interested. Sort of the best case for for that view, and like what somebody like Paraboom will do is like after giving this you know pretty rigorous argument, I'm obviously not convinced by it against um, against belief in in free will. He'll be like, yeah, so no moral responsibility. How bad is that? And then he's like, actually, it's not so bad, and maybe it's even good. You know, because because then you know he does have this book what's it called living with free will and it, it is good that he does actually grapple with these issues you know yeah yeah totally you know and even like sam harris who's like a little sloppy about how he puts it in his book but i mean like his view is essentially the same as paraboom's view is like you know because it's like like he his phrasing muddies the issue a little bit because he because when he says responsibility if you like read him carefully what he means is like holding people responsible in the sense of like punishing them or whatever. But it's like, he's very clear on the fact that he thinks that's only justified in a utilitarian way. Cause right. like, obviously we wouldn't have objective moral responsibility. And as it's known, literally everything can be justified by utilitarian if you, if you stipulate the right numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, what's the GECO example about the um, eyeball lottery. Uh, you have uh, the uh, sub future, scientific dystopia you've gotten really good at you know at, at curing uh curing blindness by transplanting uh eyeballs and so but there aren't enough volunteers so the the government institutes uh, an eyeball lottery like the vietnam war draft lottery uh that's uh the one, the one eyeball policy <laughs> well maybe not a complete one eyeball policy depend i guess it depends on how many eyeballs there are to go around right <laughs> Well, I mean, China didn't actually stop people from having a second child. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, Kush, um, I was going to say earlier that I think when people have this idea about, you know, being a worm or being born in someone else's body, this is what's going on, that they have, like, a two-order view of kind of what they are, where there are these kind of facts which are, like, incidental. Like, the fact that I support Newcastle United and instead of Sunderland is kind of not like something which is quite important for me, but it could be otherwise. And I could be more or less the same sort of person. Sure. And there's these kind of 
first order facts, which are like that. And then there's, but there's some kind of fundamental features that really make us up, which are constituted in some way, which is beyond this, which I don't think is true, but I think is kind of something people might intuitively think. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to think something like that, right? Um, it's, I mean, unconscious is an interesting, is an interesting word choice there, right? Cause, cause it's like, um, there's a, there's a sort of strange melding of like psychoanalysis speak with um, the uh, with the metaphysical framework that you know is uh, I don't know anyway there's a uh, like like it's not I'll, I'll just put a I'll, I'll just like put a little note on that that I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's that's all consistent but um, but but I mean it's also I mean he's, he's right I mean like I think that is more or less what a lot of people believe right I mean the whole idea of like um, uh, the whole idea of like uh, like past life regression hypnosis, right? Is is that? Uh, I mean, that seems to be about the idea that somehow buried in your subconscious uh, is your uh, is your memory of being Charlemagne or the Worm or whatever. And, right, uh, and it's, it's kind of almost like an astrology thing, where they describe these very kind of general facts, and you're like, "Damn, that's me." <laughs> <laughs> like, I've 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 always been a Virgo in all of my past lives. Yeah. Like vague but also specific, but also general, but also like not overwhelming, but also describing to some degree, you know. Right, right. That's the, the yeah, no, I've I've always been a I've always been a bit of a control freak and then I found out that you know that I was uh, that I was Stalin in a past life and now it all makes sense. <laughs> Uh, so Ben, what's what's on the docket for next week? I mean, I yeah. did ask this last week, and then and I lied. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. I told well, you, you a lie. You're lying. What counts as a lie? You didn't intend <laughs> to deceive me, so no, I, I did lie. I did. I did say a falsehood, but at the time I said it, I believed it. Um, yeah. So the Plato one that I teased last week is coming, but it's not next week. Um, the uh, next week, uh, I am. Um, actually uh dipping into uh uh i'm actually dipping into the uh stuff i did for my hitchens book and talking about his debate with uh william lane craig and uh the uh Kalam cosmological argument all right okay cool <laughs> yeah yeah you know, i, I can't remember exactly what my demand was going to be but i do want some some moralism essays Okay. Okay. Well, we'll think think a little bit more and formulate your list of demands and cut the cut the letters out of the newspapers and uh, and we'll you know send them to me with the uh, you know with the, the hostages here and we'll talk. Kalam, wait, is Kalam cosmological, not ontological, right? Yeah. 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 Ontological argument is the uh, is the most fun one because it's it's one that I think um, like. Like all of the other arguments for the existence of God, I could actually, you know, I could actually imagine how somebody could be persuaded by one of them, right? That's like, okay, I could, you know, hear, hear my objections X, Y, and Z to this argument, but I could see how this argument would sound compelling to somebody. Ontological, I really want to meet the person who's convinced of the existence of God by the ontological argument. That's the, uh, so for people who aren't familiar, the ontological argument is the one where it's like uh, the 
God is by definition that which is, you know, which is uh, is greater than any other that we could possibly imagine. And if God didn't exist, then we would be able to imagine uh, something greater, which would be a being exactly like that, but with the extra virtue of existence. But it's incoherent to say that there's a being that would be greater than the greatest being, therefore God must exist. Like, I really want to know the person who hears that. It's like, oh, shit, there is a God. I mean, I'm, I'm not that much of a hater of the ontological argument. I mean, I, I do get what you mean. That kind of it's like, well, how does that kind of get you there if you aren't there already? But well, I, 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 I think I mean, what, we, what, what, what I mean is more that it's like, appealing. I, I mean, like, I think there's an interesting question here about if there is something wrong with it, which I, I do think there is, like, what's wrong with it, right? I think there's like a, I think there's like an interest in, argument to be had about sort of trying to figure out exactly what's wrong with the argument and how to respond to it and all that. I just, what I mean is more just like in my experience, regardless of people's religious beliefs, their uh, visceral response to that argument is, wait, what? But what about perfect eye? Really? <laughs> well, I mean, even before they figured that out, right? I mean, it's like, it just, it just sort of sounds like, um, you know, there's something that the mind kind of rebels against. If, if comparabilism is word games, then ontological argument definitely is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sort of like the most unsympathetic response that some people have to compatibilism. You know, that like, oh, come on, you're just playing word games. You know, like uh, this, this is, you know, like I think that's the reaction that in my experience, at least, even a lot of people who agree with the conclusion uh, have about the uh, the ontological argument, but yeah, the cosmological argument is a little bit is a little bit better than that. Ben, I mean, I think. Do you want to hear my ontological argument against God? Let's do it. Which, which proves that God is impossible in all possible worlds. Let's do it. And it's obviously kind of a reverse or a parody of a, a Platinga's argument. Um, the argument basically goes as kind of Platinga says is a reverse of that. Platinga basically argues that God is possible in one world then if he's in that world, he's all-powerful. So he basically, in some significant sense, he's, he's possible in all worlds. So if he's possible at all, uh, then he exists, basically. Um, my, my suggestion is that gratuitous evil is possible, which basically people don't know. Gratuitous evil is kind of a bad thing that can't coexist with God. It's, it's that right. bad. Like kind of a, a child being born and starving to death in some horrible way for no reason. Yeah, right. Like the uh, that uh, nobody learns anything from it. There's no greater good that comes of it, you know. So it's it's something that. Uh, uh, so yeah. So gratuitous evil just just meaning like evil that uh, evil that an all good being wouldn't allow. Yeah. Yeah. So if there's if there's gratuitous evil in one possible world, then God can't exist in that world. And if God can't exist in one possible world, then there's some deficiency with him, and so he can't exist in any possible world. Yeah, that's sounds just as good to me. <laughs> and I, I googled this, and someone actually did a PhD on this. Oh, okay. I came up with, came up with all by myself, but someone's actually. It was just recently, so it was clearly like a millennial thought. But yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Oh uh, well, I will. Uh, I will see you next week. We can knock off. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>